So the title of my message is God has not abandoned you. Amen. Praise God. And our portion of scripture will be Psalm 13, the totality, all six verses of it. It's David's lament and um, his heart posture, I guess, to the Lord in this moment in his life. But I want to start by making one thing explicitly clear this evening. The title of the sermon is God has not abandoned you. I am not um, making this as an option or an idea or something for your consideration. I am giving you a statement of fact as stipulated by scripture. God is not on trial here tonight. I am not presenting this as an idea which I'm now going to subsequently prove. God has not abandoned you. The authenticity of that is not up for debate, regardless of how we feel today. God is with us in every season, in every circumstance, and he knows and he sees our heart. And so as we go on this journey, exploring the all six verses of Psalm 13, I want us to have that at the forefront of our heart and mind. And I'm finding it in my own personal journey with Jesus, reading the Psalms a lot more than previous times. I'm finding a renewed sense of value, priority, and consideration in my own life. You know, when you think about it, the Psalms, 150 Psalms, it's really one giant exhaustive prayer. When you actually summarize it, that's all it is. And yet, so much of it, when I read the different Psalms, including the one that we're going to explore tonight, I think the majority of Christians could have written the majority of the Psalms because there's so much relatable content. There's so much heart attitude, the condition, the posture of our heart, how we go through struggles and trials, and really what's on the inside starts to bubble up and starts to come out in our own heart and life. And so my goal as we go on this journey together is that we would go beyond simply acknowledging the posture and condition of David's heart and attitude, and that we would subsequently adopt it and implement it in our own lives, which means that we've got to go beyond having merely an awareness and an acknowledgement of how David felt in this psalm, but actually shift our perspective, shift our thinking to a place where God can break through. And therefore, as a result of all that we explore and examine, a fresh impetus and urgency should be birthed in our hearts, an urgency that is based on one thing, the goodness of God in our lives. Amen? We don't focus on our circumstances, but we focus on the goodness of God. And so what we see here in Psalm 13 is three groups of people that David is pretty upset with, himself, God, and his enemies. So let's read Psalm 13, verses 1 to 6 together. I'm reading the NIV. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. 
Wow, there's a lot going on in just six verses. What we'll see is that this psalm is essentially divided into three sections. The first two verses highlight his lament and the condition of where he's at, where he's at, and the sorrow that he so vividly expresses. The middle two verses see a seismic shift in David's heart, whereby he starts to relinquish his focus on the sorrow and the sadness in his life, and he moves to petition and pray to God. And the final two verses highlight a man who's now thanking God, praising God, worshiping God, which seems to tell me that there is a three-step process to victory and breakthrough in our lives. So let's unpack these story and verses together. I've called the first two verses, the problem. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day, having sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now, let's be clear here. David is not hanging around. We don't get any context to his problem. He is straight out the gate. This is what is going on. This is how I am feeling. I wonder in our Christian walk, are we that honest? I would suggest perhaps not. I wonder when we last prayed a prayer like that where we cried out to God in desperation. Because he immediately gets into conveying his troubles and his struggles. He presents a barrage of seemingly accusatory questions of God. He's positioned himself essentially as the prosecutor over God's apparent, keyword lack of care and attention in his life. And yet, God is not on trial. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So where do these thoughts come from? And let's not forget, friends, David is a man after God's own heart. Well, I don't see a whole lot of that on display right here. So what's causing it? His circumstances, the challenges of his life. You know what happens? Life happens. (laughs) That's what happens. Seasons and circumstances shift and change. And with those shifts and change, our perspective, our trust, our ability to take God at his word shifts and changes. And yet Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The word of God is infallible, inerrant, perfect. So what changes? The condition of our heart changes. That's what's going on with David here. So we need to reach beyond the point where we just have an understanding that God loves us. That's head knowledge. It needs to get from our head to our heart that God loves us. Amen? He's not abandoned us. Some of us in this place, we need to abandon the idea of being abandoned. And what I mean by that is to abandon something, you must first own it which means you must be able to acknowledge that you feel abandoned. It might not be the truth. It might be your reality in that moment. But you can leave that at the foot of the cross tonight. And that's the goal for some of us. But let's be clear here. We need to go beyond believing and move towards knowing that God loves us from the deepest recesses of our heart. That step always manifests when we are in daily healthy relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So perhaps you're here today in the building, you're watching online, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling isolated, you're feeling abandoned. Have you ever experienced those days where the whole world is against you? No, just me? Okay. Do you feel that everything and everyone around you is seemingly winning, seemingly succeeding? What is going on in your heart and your spirit in that moment? You start to doubt. You start to fear. Trepidation starts to take over. Anxiousness starts to flood your heart and mind. Why? Because you've lost sight of the promises and the goodness of God on your life. You start to focus on the problem and not on the person who can bring the solution to the problem. Do not allow your emotions and feelings to become utensils with which you assess the veracity of God's love towards you in your life. Amen. Because your feelings and your emotions can and do mislead you. And let's be clear, David has had enough. He repeats the phrase, how long? Four times. Do you know the phrase how long in the Psalms only appears 18 or 19 times in 150 Psalms? It's in Psalm 6. I think it's in Psalm 16. But four times out of 18, it appears in just this portion of Scripture in Psalm 13. Have you ever got to the point, perhaps you're there now today, where you've had enough and you just want it to be over? You just want the suffering, the season, the challenges, the strongholds, whatever is going on in your life right now, you just want it to be over. David's there. He's got to saturation point here. He's taken as much struggling and suffering as he can possibly imagine. But when did you last cry out the way David did? Have you cried out, how long, Lord, before my child comes to faith in you? How long, Lord? before you heal me of this cancer? How long, Lord, before I'm cured of this addiction? When did you last cry out with that level of vulnerability and rawness and honesty? Because you know, we can come to the Lord just as we are. The Bible says it so clearly in Hebrews. We can approach him right where he is, accept the mercy, take the help. But as Pentecostals, as Christians, sometimes we sugarcoat it. We think we've got to present this narrative and foundation before we can approach God. David doesn't have any of that on display here. How long? That's birthed out of a deep place of desperation and anguish. Now let's also be clear. David is directing this sorrow to only one person, to God. He's not speaking to anyone else. And I think that is very significant for us as Christians. We need to take our Anguish, our sorrow, our pain, our hurt to only one person, God. Because he's the only person that can ultimately heal us. So even in the midst of his own turmoil and distress, it's clear in his heart that he knows where his healing comes from. He makes no attempt to present his pain to anyone but God. Now we must remember David was human, which means he was fallible, he was frail, he was human, just like us, which means that he went through all the emotions. We go through, sorry, all the emotions, no doubt, that he did. The struggles, the issues in the heart, the responses to those issues are probably representative of us today. And here's the best part. Victory is still ours. Amen? But is there a more profoundly distressing status to have than that 
of abandonment. You think of rejection, you think of anxiety, you think of fear. Abandonment, I reckon it's right up there by way of feeling and emotion and a place to be. A load of emotions start to manifest that quickly can seize control of our hearts and mind, leaving us paralyzed by the fear, weighed down in the trepidation, wallowing in anxiety. David is clear he is deeply stricken at his current plight. He feels that God is distant, uninterested in his life, unaware of his predicament, and utterly unwilling to rescue and restore him. And yet, nothing could be more further from the truth. Is that how you feel today? Do you feel that God is unwilling to speak into your situation? Do you feel that God is uninterested in the circumstances and challenges of your life? Friends, nothing is further from the truth. God is with you. And yet, that's how he feels. But for us as Christians, you know, we know our Bible. Amen. And we know beyond any doubt that God never forgets anything. He sees and he knows everything. He is omnipotent, omnipresent. The Alpha, the Omega. We need to take some comfort and solace in that tonight. Nothing escapes his attention. He's not forgetful like man. And so... My opinion, verse 2, is a little bit more applicable to the men in the church than the ladies because men have an innate capacity and desire to want to solve their own problems, driven by pride, ego, a misguided sense of worth. At least the ladies know straight into the presence of God for the direction, the guidance, and the healing. The words, day after day, sorrow was in my heart, stands out for me because it shows me blatantly that David has been trying but has been unsuccessful in trying to rectify his own problems, overcome his own issues, triumph in his own situation. His success rate with the Lord is a big fat zero. With the Lord we can do all things. And this is undoubtedly why David is continuing to lament and be sad because nothing is changing in his life. Is that you this evening? Do you feel that nothing is changing in your life? That it's the same old, same old. I've got the same problems. I'm going through the same issues. Nothing is shifting. Nothing is changing. Do you feel, therefore, as a result of that, that God has somehow distant and abandoned you? And now David is embarking on a pathway of resolution and answers from within himself because he believes that God is failing to give him direction or deliverance in his situation. He is unable to reconcile in his heart how and why his enemy seems to be winning, giving preference over David. And yet the words, how long, still ring true. Because he's asking, how long is this going to continue? How long is my misery going to be compounded for? And he's asking the Lord now to step into his situation and bring relief to the chaos and confusion, to bring order into his situation. Now let me be clear here tonight. I firmly believe that every spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Bible-believing Christian in this house can adopt that attitude and approach to the Lord that David has done here. No frills, no airs and graces, not even being polite, straight out the gate. This is what's going on. I mean, he's almost making demands on God. You could interpret it that way if you choose to. And there's no evidence that God is offended. I think God is encouraged by that level of rawness and efficiency 
and honesty. It reminds me of a friend of mine many years ago that I began discipling. He lives in, in the US now. But he's one of the only people I know that could phone me, phone me up on the phone and tell me how his day was in the fairly rude, using naughty words down the phone, and just tell me how his day had been. Initially, I was quite taken aback, right? At that level of rawness and honesty and that directness. There was no sense of religious rhetoric attached to it. It was just straight down the line. Wore his heart on his sleeve, so to speak. After a while, I found this guy's open. This guy's honest. This guy's genuine. This guy's not sugarcoating anything for my benefit. And I think we need to adopt the same thing. Because when did we last cry out to the Lord to this level? God is not upset or offended by his line of questioning. God knows. God sees what's going on in your heart. And he's willing and he's able to help you. The second two verses, the, the next portion, verses three and four, I call the prayer. Verse three, look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Now David has shifted his focus and approach. He is now directly inviting God to give attention to his situation. He's pleading with God to answer him and protect him from death. And his desire for his eyes to be enlightened emerges from the dangerous circumstances and challenges that he's facing in his life. He wants faith, he wants strength, he wants confidence in God in that moment. He wants the ability to look far beyond his current plight, to have just a glimpse of what of his victorious and future-filled freedom could look like. Don't we want the same today? Don't we want a glimpse of what our life could look like beyond our biggest problem? Amen? Our troubles are temporary, but our God is eternal. So David is very clear here. He makes no attempt to sugarcoat anything. He doesn't introduce any new narrative. He has a two-pronged desire of God. One, that God would look on him and his situation and ultimately step in. Two, that he wouldn't just be attentive to his situation, but he would actually provide an answer, a way through, a resolution. And I wonder in our own Christian lives, do we pray prayers whereby we just want God to understand what we're going through? Or do we pray prayers where we want God to give direction, revelation, insight, order that will help us overcome those scenarios? We can't have both. We need to choose. And so we must acknowledge here also that David refers to the enemy in a singular term, yet his, enemy, uh, his foes are listed in plural term. We know that death is the final enemy for all believers. And that's what David is worried about, that he dies and therefore his other foes rejoice in the fact that his first enemy has won. Why? Because David's faith has ultimately been blunted and dulled by the challenges that he had been facing. He had this humility and the awareness to acknowledge that and accept that. Can I make a suggestion for us this evening? We need to do the same. There is absolutely no shame in praying the way that David prayed in Psalm 13. Do not let any person tell you otherwise. I think that God rewards that type of rawness and honesty. I think he looks upon that favorably. I think he wants to step into situations 
and circumstances like that. But we have to ask ourselves, are we truly prepared to commit to the cause, to the journey, to the pathway that God has for us? The shame would be knowing in your heart that you need the Lord's direction and help. And the very thing that's eroding your faith, and you've identified that, but not approaching God for the breakthrough. That would be the real shame. But imagine this. He is so consumed. He is so weighed down by his circumstances that he, that he believes he is at the precipice of death. Wow. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> that is discouraging on a high level. That is, I mean, that level of challenges and circumstances, the magnitude of the impact that those issues must have been causing in his life was substantial. Are you at that point where you're like, that's it, I've had enough, I can't take it anymore, I can't do this anymore, I can't break through in this area, it's always going to be like this, why is it always me? And yet, David's communicating his weariness, his tiredness, his loss of passion, the diminishing trust in God. All of that because he had believed in his heart that God had abandoned him. And therefore, God was seemingly absent from his life. It's easy to fall into that heart attitude. And yet, praise God, he still had some fight in him. He prayed. Hello. That's a word for us tonight. You've got to get back into the fight. Even when everything seems against you, David prayed. When everything is against you, pray. Petition the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, a brief word about the enemy. Got to get this one off my chest. I think as Christians, we give the enemy far too much credit. We already know that he's been defeated, destroyed, and driven out. Hello? Amen? So what we need to do is enforce the victory that Jesus gave us at the cross. That's the goal. And yet, we can all connect with David's position today. When issues in our lives are out of control, challenges running amok, we can respond out of a place of defeat and despondency where we wouldn't ordinarily do so. Have you ever got to a place, ever had a day where you're physically exhausted, spiritually barren, emotionally drained, mentally idle? Those are dangerous days. And I would think, if I were guessing, that David wrote this psalm on such a day. It's in those days that we are most vulnerable to the lies and deception of the enemy. And you know, we can rise from the ashes of defeat. You know why? Because the resurrected king is resurrecting you. Amen. Amen. You will burst forth with new joy, renewed hope, and freedom. So how does David win? The final two verses I call the praise. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. The step away from verse 4 to verse 5 is the definitive turning point in this psalm. His heart attitude changes and his strength in God begins to emerge. You know why? Because precisely at the most darkest and most distressing point where David is destitute, desperate and defeated, irreversible progress is made. He's just thought that he's about to die. And now he starts to remind himself of God's goodness, of God's love, of God's favor. At his lowest point, he declares, but 
I trust in your unfailing love. Which means that even in the most discouraging, lowest, darkest moment of your life, you can still trust in his unfailing love. He's never failed you yet. He's done it before and he will do it again. The first word in that last portion of scripture is crucial. The word but. It's proof that David has hugely shifted his perspective. Because he's saying, hey, basically, in spite of my circumstances, I am going to do this. It might not feel natural. It might not feel what I want to do. But I'm going to live beyond my emotions, beyond my feelings. And I'm going to stand on truth. Now he's back on level ground in his heart relationship with the Lord. And here's the best part. He just prayed for his eyes to be open and God has answered him. Because David starts to remember the glory, the splendor, the majesty, the authority, the dominion, the lordship of Jesus Christ in his life. God does not need to give you a reason to do something good in your life. You just need a bit more revelation. Because a new confidence is now being cultivated. He is now reminding himself that God is in control of his life and of his circumstances. He has an assurance that he will rejoice in his salvation. How is this possible? One reason. His heart changed. The perspective and the position of his heart subsequently changed. This provokes a question for us. Do you find your heart being defined by what is or what isn't happening in your life? By what God is or isn't seemingly doing or not doing in your life? Is God on trial subconsciously in your heart? Before you say no, think, reflect. Analyze, assess the way that you pray, the way that you approach God. Is it like this, where it's open and raw and honest? We have to learn to cling to the promises of God in our lives. Remind ourselves of his goodness, of his majesty. And yet the turnaround continues in verse 6. And the joy is starting to grow and deepen in all that David is going through. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. So he's talking in two, almost two Separate areas here. He's saying, I will sing. Future focus. Future. Why? Because he's been good to me. For he has been. Past tense. And yet he's living in this moment of turmoil and distress. But he's enlarged his heart. He's elevated God to the rightful place. And he's begun to worship. That is ultimately absolutely outstanding. That has to be our position, friends. Because the potency of faith restored, hope renewed, hearts cleansed and softened, causes us to draw closer to God, which means that we can meaningfully meaningfully present our cares and concerns to God and leave them at the throne of grace. We learn that David's confidence is to praise God in moments of seeming abandonment, produce covenant promises. Which means that he now has a new vantage point with which to view his life. His perspective has changed. The final verses are ultimately invitations to you and I Together, I think praise and thanksgiving are crucial kingdom principles for us to adopt and exhibit in our daily lives. And David is expressing this for only one reason. God has given him immeasurable comfort. Now he's got a healthy, steadfast, courageous, robust faith to face his circumstances and the climate of his life. And the same is true for us today. So what have we learned? Well, number one, the belief of apparent abandonment in any believer's life is possible, but it has also got the capacity to be extremely powerful. Like David, we must bring that focus, that sense of abandonment, if we feel that way, 
to God and pour out our anguish and distress to him. He's ready and he's willing to listen. Amen. Can I please remind you also today that God is not offended by deep or vulnerable questions, thoughts, or attitudes. Do you realize the moment you communicate with the living God, you are demonstrating to him two things, that you already have trust in him and you're looking to have a deeper level of trust in him. So there's absolutely no shame attached to that and do not let anyone tell you otherwise. Three, God is still good. Amen. He is faithful even when we don't sense his presence in the present, in the here and the now. He has never left us. He has never forsaken us. Now, I need to introduce a sobering piece of information for you this evening. Many preachers will not say this. I am going to say it because it is biblically accurate. Are you aware of the fact in this psalm, there is no evidence that David's circumstances have changed? <laughs> Oops, shouldn't have said that. No, I should have said that because it's the truth. But you know what has changed? His heart. Now, I believe he's positioned for victory, no question. But we need to be clear tonight. God is looking for a shift in our heart before he changes our circumstances. Too often, we want him to change the circumstances, and then we'll change our heart attitude to him. Clearly, with this psalm, there is absolutely no evidence that David is delivered from any of his challenges. But what has, he has been delivered from is the fear, paralysis, the unknown, the uncertainty, the anxiety that emerges. This psalm is ultimately about our heart attitude and condition to God. David chose to start fueling his faith and failing his failings. We need to do the same. Here is a man who is about to be king, or soon to be king rather, crying out to God, burdening his soul, petitioning God, declaring his goodness. You know, when things go wrong, trust God. When life feels out of control, trust God. Those are supernatural responses that lift you above your circumstances. They don't necessarily change your circumstances, but they lift you above your circumstances. That's why, as a believer, I get irritated when I hear Christians, oh, under the circumstances, I'm doing okay. No, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to us. We need to learn to stand on the promises of God over our lives and declare and proclaim those things that are not as though they are. Amen. Because otherwise, you will fall into negativity. Have you ever met a Christian that's always complaining? They've got a problem for every solution. No, we are not those people in Kensington Temple, London City Church. Because you know, a few complaints can set you on a downward spiral, darkens your perspective, shifts your mindset. With that attitude controlling you, complaints will flow much more quickly, much more easily in your life. And it's a slippery slope to the bottom. And yet here is the answer. Cry out to God. Pour out your heart to him. If nobody else, him. He knows and he sees your anguish, your pain, your sorrow. And he wants to help you. But know this. You'll also need to thank him. Even if it seems irrational, illogical, unnatural. Thank him because you'll start to ascend. You'll start to recover that lost ground. And then when you're back on level ground, you can face your circumstances from a humble perspective because you chose a supernatural response, not a natural fleshly response in your heart 
in your life. We need to deepen our dependency on God. We need to shift the focus off our problems and onto the God who can serve them. We need to trade sorrow and anguish for petition and praise to the Father. Because you know why? Your perspective determines your breakthrough. Which means we have to choose to assess our circumstances through the lens of Christ, through the lens of faith and not fear. Move away from the mediocre and the mundane. That is not the heart of God. Our God is excellent. He is perfect in all of his ways. And if you're afraid of doing this, Psalm 56 verse 3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And so where do you need a breakthrough today? Where do you need God to shift your perspective? Where are you sensing a release of wholeness and freedom over your life? I know this. God might not change your circumstances tonight, but he can change the condition, the posture of your heart, and he can set you back on that solid rock that is him tonight. 